You're listening to the Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunities for All, brought to you by the National Community Action Partnership. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us here today for the third episode of the Community Action Partnership Podcast, Building Opportunity for All. Today, our guest is David Bradley the Executive Director of the National Community Action Foundation. I know for many of you, David doesn't need really much introduction, but we have to introduce David as the author of the original Community Services Block Grant legislation and our leader today as we move forward with the future of community action and the future of the Community Services Block Grant. David, thank you so much for being with us here today on our podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to join you today. We appreciate you being with us. I know that CSBG is on your mind. I know that we are in the 116th Congress. What would you like to share with our audience, both within Community Action and outside Community Action, folks who are listening with us today? Where would you like to start? Well, the uh, the general impression of Washington, which is correct in many ways, is that the city is dysfunctional, that uh, the parties are at each other's throats, that Congress is bracing for a fairly significant battle with President Trump over funding for the wall, over investigations, over debt ceiling, immigration, things like that. Uh, So you have a lot of partisan warfare, dysfunction, gridlock. But beneath that, I think people who listen to this podcast should realize that beneath that, progress is possible, particularly on our kind of issues. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm finding that, that in a city in which everyone pulls back, waits for the battles to start, the big battles that are far above my pay scale, that that's the best time to move forward and, and meet and talk to members and plan on, on what could be a very uh, interesting legislative year for for the network. Well, I love the the, the phrase "progress is possible." Um, you must go through. I can't even imagine how many pairs of shoes walk in the halls of Congress. Can you let folks know kind of what you're going to be doing over these next few months to uh, engage with Congress and to let them know if they want progress, community action is the space to achieve it. Well, the um, uh, for the last two Congresses, 114th, 115th. We've introduced a community services block grant reauthorization bill, and uh, we've moved it forward, but certainly did not get it over the the finish line. Uh, But we learned on what issues are popular, what issues are controversial, who's our friends and who who might we have uh, some either problems with or some additional work to do to get them in our corner. I would expect that in a very short, short period of time. A short period of time is uh, this winter, uh, before spring starts, you'll see a new community services block grant reauthorization bill. Uh, And uh, I think you'll see uh, some the parties really work at coming together on a couple of previously controversial issues. Uh, We've learned from uh, in previous battles on where we ought to put, let's say, an opioids initiative. We've uh, we've adjusted how we um, address issues like charitable choice, others, and it's going to be an incredibly strong bill, number one. Number two, since late last summer, early fall, 
I've pulled back from the Hill in terms of looking at how we present the arguments we make uh, to Congress. So we've reinvented uh, just absolutely, first time in 36 years, absolutely uh, reconfigured our presentations to the Hill. What works, what doesn't. I really broke it down. And uh, I think that we've got, we're able to connect better with members on things they want to hear, things that they might be interested in. Our, our visits uh, in the districts with members are now more productive. Uh, and I think the best news is this really has nothing to do with with the uh, Democrats taking over the House or the results of the 2018 elections. But the lineup on key committees uh, that we deal with, both on the energy side and the, and the social service and Democrats, is absolutely what I've been hoping for and working on for almost a decade. The leaders that we've cultivated are now in a position to lead on behalf of our programs. So people may uh, look at, at Washington as in, with dismay and, and disgust. I'm finding that this is the time to move forward mm -hmm. and be bold and attempt to do some things, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Well, it sounds like you're going to be armed with a strong bill, and as you said, it's responsive to what you've learned and your ability to pivot and navigate with both Dems and Republicans. That has been how Community Action and CSBG has navigated the last on several decades and how we'll move forward. Um, talk a little bit more about your excitement about the committee leadership and, and folks on those committees. That's committees are where work happens and where thing, the ball moves down the field. Can you say a little bit more about some of um, how you're going to be working with leadership uh, to, to move our balls down the field? Well, I, I think that... Uh and there are some pollsters who disagree with them, what I'm about mm -hmm. to say. Uh, but I have found that that um, a number of the new members, Democrats in the House, for instance, uh, in meeting with them, they're actually not quite sure uh, why they won or if it was a one-off kind of election, mm -hmm. anti-Trump, a blue wave, that may not be there in 2020. Mm -hmm. So there's some, they're already worried about 2020 versus 2018. Uh, consequently, they're really desperately looking at connecting in their communities. So mm -hmm. it's a terrific opportunity to say, let's go out and visit these agencies of which some of them had no idea who they were. That's mm -hmm. number one. Number two, Republicans are worried about 2020. And and with being in the House, being in the minority, I'm finding they feel they've got much more freedom to go out and spend time in their communities with with programs like ours. So it is, uh, you know, it's it's a refreshing wind uh, blowing uh, at our backs that get our, give us the opportunity of um, of really cultivating uh, new friends as well as. Uh, building on relationships with previous with with older friends. Now that said, the House, what was what was the last few years since 2011 called education workforce, has now gone back to education and labor. It's a two to one Democratic majority. That's more traditional. That's how it was in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Two to one Democratic majority. And there's a new subcommittee uh, called Civil Rights and I think Human Resources. Or human services. Mm -hmm. uh, 
community services block grant is in that subcommittee. And it's the first time that I can recall that education labor's had a civil rights subcommittee. I had a Republican call me uh, a couple of weeks ago and told me, uh, she told me that said, uh, CSPG is going to be put under this new subcommittee. I just want you to know I'm going to go on that subcommittee because CSPG is my priority. Hmm. Uh, the, uh, there's only four Republicans on the on the subcommittee. Three are strong supporters of CSPG. The Republican sponsor of our CSPG legislation, uh, the last Congress, Glenn Thompson, is on that subcommittee. Okay. And and again, Thompson uh, told uh, Bobby Scott, "I'm going to stay on the, chair, the Democratic chair of the Education and Labor Committee. I'm going to stay on Education and Labor." Scott was worried he was going to leave, but I got to tell you. Getting the community services block grant reauthorized is my highest priority. Uh, so we've got members who have fought alongside of us in both mm-hmm. par- in both parties for years, and have struggled along with us and the network to move advance this program forward. Now they're in a position of of maybe really being able to do some things. Susan Bonamici of Oregon is the chair of that subcommittee. She's been a a sponsor of our legislation ever since we've done it. And uh, a terrific, terrific fan of the program. So I'm anxious Mm -hmm. uh, and excited about uh, seeing what we can do and let the political winds blow whichever direction they do mm-hmm. and and just simply keep our heads down and try to move as far as we can and deliver the strongest bill that we can. Keep in mind, even if even if at the end of the day this year, Congress for uh, six or eight or nine months is tied up in the investigations and tax returns and just, you know, funding the border wall, all of that, all of those things going on. The more visibility mm. we can we can get for CSBG for the Community Action Network gives us a greater opportunity to talk about things that the the partnership and the network collectively have done, and that is that is outcomes and performance measurements mm. and organizational standards. All the improvements made in the program, in terms of greater accountability, transparency, performance, outcomes, all those all those improvements that you and and others uh, have fought so hard for. Congress has never had an opportunity to learn about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any any sunshine on this program, any any daylight, uh, is positive. And uh, so I I I I you know I I look forward to long days. Uh, <laughs> yep, the, I the, bet the t- the <laughs> you know the nine or 10 or 11 appointments a day where your feet do hurt at the end of the day. But, but, but you can go home and literally uh, the environment I'm in, you can go home each and every day and be able to say, you know what? We're three feet further down the road today mm-hmm. because of some of these means that's fun for me. I mm-hmm. enjoy it. And, and any time spent on the Hill for me is, is a, is a good day. 
Well, you certainly sound energetic and ready to to take the hill and and move the ball and the, the the power of having the Democrats and the Republicans on that subcommittee that are supportive of CSBG and Community Action, I think offers some great opportunity. We're going to take a quick break and then we will come back. And, and David, I want you to kind of let our folks know what can they be doing as they enter this new Congress. You kind of highlighted and spotlighted a few pieces on accountability, but we'll be right back and we'll 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 talk a little bit about introducing and getting the new members of Congress more knowledgeable about the network. We'll be right back. Here at the Community Action Partnership, we encourage all community action associations and local community action agencies to join NCAF at their annual legislative conference. This year, it's being held in Washington, D.C., March 20th through the 22nd. And he also has a pre-con session on, on March 19th. I hope we'll see you in D.C. at the NCAF conference. I also hope that you will subscribe to NCAP's e-newsletter, CAPFAX. CAPFAX is the source for all information CSBG related as well as weatherization. I know I turn to CAPFAX every time it comes out to hear what's going on on the Hill and in David's world when it comes to his work on CSBG. You can find out more information and register for the conference at NCAP's website, www.ncaf.org. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for sticking with us. We are here with the second half of the podcast here today, Building Opportunities for All. And again, our guest today is David Bradley, the Executive Director of NCAF, the National Community Action Foundation. Uh, David, you gave us a great summary of where you're headed on CSBG, um, the, the, the progress is possible. But I know in order to have progress, you need our local agencies and state associations to be engaged. We have so many new members of Congress, but we also know there are so many new members in state houses all over the country. What kind of advice would you give local agencies and state associations for this moment in time that is really critical to build these relationships? Well, uh, it's a good question, Denise. I'm glad you asked it. The, um, starting first with my life in terms of uh, I relate to Congress, but all this is applicable to uh, your, your state houses as well. And there are lots of new members, but there are also uh, members, incumbents who have been in for a few few terms who have no relationship with these agencies, these local agencies. So number one, the key is to make that decision that you want to have a relationship mm-hmm. and you're, and you're going to work uh, as hard as you can to develop and build that relationship. I always operate on the assumption we need them more than they need us. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to make sure that that relationship starts. So number one, you decide number, number two, you look at, uh, what you're most proud of, uh, what impact your agency makes and you plan on how you're going to pitch it. Uh, how, how, what the message is going to be, uh, to the member. And uh, I went on 35 or 40 uh, district visits with members last year. And I got to say on a number of them, I was disappointed. Mm. Uh, the the uh, descriptions, the, the delivery, the, the uh, uh, discussions about what the agency does, some of those went on for two or three hours. That member mm. was, they have a 15-minute uh, <laughs> uh, mm. uh, um, interest uh, window there. So, so. Decide, decide what it is your agency does, who you are, what your agency does, and the impact it makes in the community. 
uh, I've got a during my conference coming up, I've got a panel of, of House of Republican Democrats uh, that I, I talk about what they want to hear, how they how they uh, interact with their agencies, what they want to hear, effective presentations mm. to them. If a Republican, for instance, hears uh, services, we run Head Start, we run Life, we run Weatherization, they immediately think, they immediately think uh, um, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's ways ways of doing it. But so on the on the most immediate level is refine and uh, reconfigure our presentations makes them more effective too. But that's only our immediate uh, family, our programs. Two is there are a lot of issues affecting low-income communities that uh, for better or worse, most likely worse, we have been silent and not engaged on. You can engage, you can, you can hold your members of Congress or the State House accountable, uh, ask them to do more for low-income communities, uh, A, without violating any laws, but B, the difference between what we want to do and what we need to do is we want to do it civilly, we want to do it professionally, but we want to make sure that, that members do not forget about their low-income communities and families and individuals. Uh, the great issues of the day, whether it's shoring up the Affordable Care Act, whether it's dealing with, with uh, immigration reform, whether it is on education, job training, infrastructure, providing jobs, uh, there's great issues of the day that we need to engage in. But the difference between us and some other groups on either the right or the left is we can do it civilly. And after 50, going on 55 years, mm-hmm. we can do it with credibility. Mm-hmm. And and as everyone understands, uh, should understand a community action, is that advocacy was built in and expected from the first moment that the original Economic Opportunity Act was being conceived in February of 1964. You cannot have a successful war on poverty. You cannot hope to even win and engage uh, on uh, a war on poverty without having the sharpest, most effective advocacy skills uh, attainable. Could not agree with you more. How powerful is that? You're right. It was built into our sauce from the very beginning. We are the voice. And it's interesting sometimes to be around advocate tables and you can't make the change inside the beltway. It is so critical that agencies and associations are engaged. So it sounds like, as you said, it was built into the sauce. We are entering our 55, 55th year of community action. And I know uh, a real mentor to you was uh, Sergeant Shriver, who is the, the father of this program. Um, can you say a little bit about what Shriver meant to you and how he impacts, and I think we just heard through your own voice, uh, part of Sergeant Sergeant Shriver's call to action. Can you share a little bit about um, what his yeah. life meant to you? Yeah, the um, uh, I didn't know uh, uh, Sergeant Shriver in the 60s. I met him in 75 and mm-hmm. and, and knew him very well for about 30 years. Um, Sergeant Shriver, just a few quick comments. Number one, 
he's the only public official that I've ever met that the more you knew him, the better he was. Normally, the more you know people, the more flaws you see. Uh, that way, number one. Number two, Sarge was ever the optimist. Uh, nothing was too, uh, uh, nothing got him down when I dealt with him. It was just, it was just, we can do this, we can do this. My most enjoyable times um, were the two or three times a year that Sarge and I, Sarge would join me on the hill and would have a, a whole day together on the hill and basically me showing off here. Sarge is trying and the, and the conversations we had with members were terrific. And and Sarge, I was lucky enough uh, that, uh, you know, when I struggled, when when there were you know, issues out there, I had somebody to talk to about what I'm trying to achieve, someone to be a sounding board. Uh, in 1996, the largest domestic increase uh, was the community services block grant. We got a 26.5% increase, and Newt Gingrich helped me. And uh, it took me 60 or 70 steps in a coalition, and you know, I got attacked by the Clinton administration. I'm dealing with Newt Gingrich, so Democrats were mad at me and all this stuff. And markup, in which we got the 100 million subcommittee, ended at 1.30 in the morning. I drove uh, I drove home. I live south of Washington, got home around two thirty, had to get up at four because I had a meeting at OMB. Well, eight o'clock the next morning, eight o'clock, uh, the first person to call me was Sergeant Schreiber. And he said, I just understand you got a hundred million dollar increase in community <laughs> services. That's terrific. That's terrific. David. So it was. Um, yeah, Sarge was, I was lucky enough that, that somebody asked me this the other day. I probably talked to Sarge at least once a week for 30 years. Mm. Uh, and he was a baseball fan, which, uh, which was <laughs> yeah. also made a good, but we had a good time. And, and uh, it is such an honor mm. to uh, work in a program he started. Number one, that is a real motivating factor. And two, uh, the example uh, that that he provided and the leadership that he provided in terms of selling the war on poverty to Congress, mm-hmm. much as he sold the Peace Corps. I, I think about that a lot. I really do. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a story out there about uh, late at night and he'd been on the Hill and, and he was on the Senate side on legislation and it was 7.30, 8 o'clock at night and you know, almost everybody had gone home in Washington and he's still working the Hill and he sees Barry Goldwater's uh, Senate office door open. So he walks in and he ends up going in and, and making the pitch for the war on poverty to, to Barry Goldwater at quarter of eight at <laughs> eight at night. Uh, mm. And Goldwater necessarily wasn't necessarily <laughs> the strongest supporter, but I like that. And mm. that is, that is, there's always time to try to get one more meeting in, one more uh, uh, opportunity to, to gain an ally or a friend or a supporter. And so uh, knowing how, how Mr. Shriver, whether it was Peace Corps, whether it was War on Poverty, whether it was Special Olympics, whether it's when he's ambassador to France, knowing that, that Sarge really had no second gear, life was third or fourth gear always, <laughs> always working forward. I like that. And, and that has been a model for me. And the other thing about, about Sarge is, uh, was his curiosity. Sarge 
always wanted to learn, always, always was uh, this thirst for knowledge and, and never felt comfortable in terms of, of he, that he knew everything, always reached out, <laughs> read uh, current, current events, just this thirst for knowledge because he's curious. That's been an important guideline in my life, and that is I always want to be curious. So I wish, you know, I miss Sarge, and uh, he had a very good life, and it would, certainly would be interesting to uh, to get his take on public affairs today. But <laughs> but one thing one thing I know that uh, if Sergeant Shriver were here, that he would be saying to the entire network, and that is never get up, never give up, mm -hmm. uh, never feel down and never, never refuse to be optimistic. Mm. Those are powerful words to take away. And David, I, when all those um, adjectives that you use to describe Charge, so many folks, including myself, see those in you. You are tireless. You are optimistic. You never lose a chance for the next meeting, whether it's at 6 in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. Um, you are tireless. You really do embody the the spirit and and promise that Sarge left us with with the call to community action. So thank you for all you do. Thanks for joining us here today. We look forward to your conference in March um, here in DC. And thank you everyone again for listening and visit NCAF at www.ncaf.org. And if you ever need any information, reach out to NCAF on CSBG Community Action. And David, again, thanks so much for being with you, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you very much. The National Community Action Partnership recognizes the efforts that all of you are putting forth every day to make a difference in your local community. The Community Action Promise states, Community Action changes people's lives, embodies the spirit of hope, improves communities, and makes America a better place to live. We care about the entire community, and we are dedicated to helping people help themselves and each other. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and watch for our weekly episodes. We'll talk to you again soon.